Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our midweek service with Pastor Rob Santiago in a message he's entitled, Cultivating Spirituality. Now, if you haven't followed us on Instagram or Facebook, give us a follow at PC Paramount. Also, check out our website at praisechapelparamount.com. It has loads of information, tons of resources, constantly being updated. Enjoy this message. Church. You know, why don't we give a hand clap to the worship team, amen? I don't, I don't think we always realize how much work it is of coming together, coming to practice, getting up in front of here consistently, getting here early to get sound check done, and um, I just want to thank the worship team for that. I just think we have an awesome worship team, amen? Amen. Well, you got me tonight, okay, so I'm going to do my best to keep you just about three hours, all right, so... I hope you got, someone said, let's go. I called my bluff. I'm not going to be that long. No, but I just want to, I just want to open this up in prayer. If you guys would just bow your heads. Hey, Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would just be with us right now, Lord, that you would use me to speak your word, Father. And Lord, we just ask that we would leave here changed, Father, that we'd leave here challenged by your scripture, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would be with us during this time. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. I've been really inspired by Pastor Omar's uh, series on allegiance. And as I begin to unpack that word allegiance, begin to unpack what the series is really about, I come to find out it's really about uh, an underlying foundation of obedience. And I think that you have to, we can all find somebody that says, you know what, I believe in Christ. Or I pledge allegiance to the church, or I love my church, or I, I, you know, I just believe, I grew up a Christian, I believe that Jesus uh, died and rose again. And anybody could say that. A politician could tell you that. Anybody can tell you that they follow Jesus, that they love Jesus, but when you get down into the crux of it, do they obey Jesus? And that's really what it comes down to. When I talk to people uh, that, that, you know, that want to be discipled and, and they want to, you know, they'll come up to me, they'll say, hey, Pastor, I want to be discipled. I'd be like, you know, you have to obey. It's a part of that discipleship. You have to have some form of obedience in your life. Or I run into somebody at the supermarket and they tell me, I follow Jesus. I know that church. And, and, and then you, you just randomly run into somebody and, and then you come to find out, well, what church you go to? And they're like, well, you know, I've been trying out this church. I've been trying out that church. And. And then you realize, wait a minute, there, is there really obedience there? You begin, to, you begin to examine it, is there really obedience there? And all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, you should come to my church. You know, you should come to my church. Well, you know, we're a church of discipleship, amen? And so we see this obedience with Daniel, how he takes a stand, right? Pastor Moore has been talking about it on Sundays. He takes this huge stand against the culture, the time period of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and he just really stands firm in his beliefs. But he doesn't do it aggressively. He does it with love. He does it with influence. And it's because of that obedience we see Daniel begin to change the lives of the Babylonians. And I want to tell you a quick, just a quick story, okay? It's, it, it's, a, it's a story my friend told me. I can't take credit for it, all right? But he, he was a soldier in the Army, okay, in the United States Army. And he said that during boot camp, there was two people that were very disobedient, and they would actually fight each other. And, the, and, and so when the, when the sergeant would come in, he would see them fighting, he would punish the rest 
of the crew. In other words, instead of just punishing those two people, he would actually punish everybody with more push-ups, more running, and he would do these things. And these, these guys just wouldn't stop fighting. They would not only fight with the sergeant, they would fight with each other, and they were just really disobedient people. So finally, the sergeant had enough. He, he walks in, and he catches him fighting, and he finally says, and I may have told you this story, but if you can remember this, he tells him, okay, you two right there, that's enough. He goes, you know what? For the next two days, you're gonna hold each other's hand and you're not gonna let go. And so for the next two days, you know, they're like kind of grumpy, like, all right. And they're holding each other's hands for two days. They cannot let go. If they let go, they're kicked out of the army. So they're holding each other's hands through everything. Through the bathroom, wow. <laughs> through the showers. They even slept in the same bed so they could hold each other's hands. And he would tell me, my, my friend told me, they did this for two days. They held each other's hands. When they went run through boot camp, they continued holding each other's hands, all grumpy and mad, running. And when they, when they lined up in the morning, Holding each other's hands. Everybody sees it. And there's just this level of shame that is put upon them. And they begin to actually not fight anymore. Go figure. Probably because you started holding your brother's hand, you realize we got to do this together. There's a connection that begins to take place. And through that connection, they stopped fighting. After two days, they did not let go of each other's hands. They remained in the army. And they remain brothers from that point on. See, obedience is powerful. When you are obedient to God and you continue to hold on to him, you start to act like him. You start to suddenly not push against him or, and you want to know more about his teachings. You want to know more about his word. You want to know more about him and how he can affect your life. His purpose. You start to get to the crux of the individual. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to get into the crux a little bit about Jesus. Amen. These two men that held each other's hands are a perfect example. They're a prime example of what God can do in your life if you just hold on to them in obedient. I'm reminded of a, um, I'm reminded of a story in Luke chapter 22. And it's really a time where Jesus, I'll just kind of give you some his context behind the verse before we get into it. Jesus is, has just been captured. He's just been betrayed by Judas. And, and, and now he's kind of walking and, he, and he's in captivity. He's kind of walking uh, into town and Peter's there. He's kind of, he's, he's there. He's just kind of off in the distance and he's watching his savior, Jesus, his mentor, right? The person that's discipling him. He's kind of watching him from a distance, and the Bible says this in Luke chapter 22, verse 54. It says, then they seized him and led him away. They're talking about Jesus. Bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the country yard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. So now Peter's sitting down amongst the common folks around this campfire. Sounds pretty nice, right? Verse 56 says, Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. In verse 57, he says, But he denied it, saying, A woman, or he said, he said, Woman, I do not know him. 
So he, Peter denies Jesus. Verse 58, and a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. 59, and after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the, uh, the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times, and he went out and wept bitterly. Church, it's important you understand that when you are following Jesus, that you do not follow at a distance. There are some of you sitting in this place right now that would rather follow Jesus at a distance in order to be careful to not offend somebody else or in order to be careful is to not be held accountable or to not change for the good. You live your life following Jesus at a distance and that's exactly what's gonna get you in trouble. If you don't get closer to God and remain obedient, you will lose your salvation. I've seen it many times. It starts off with a little dispute in the church sometimes. It starts off with you maybe just skipping a service here or there. It starts off with someone else probably whispering in your ear, this church is better over here. Your church doesn't have that. My church does. That's how it starts. Why am I telling you this? So you can identify it when it hits you. And in reality... That's just the work of the enemy, trying to gain separation between you and your brothers and sisters. The other thing that takes place in this story is Peter was trying to fit in. Bible says he followed from a distance, didn't want to be seen with Jesus. As a matter of fact, he sees a group of people sitting down next to a fire and he joins them. And he says, you know, I'm going to join these people. You know, internally, he's probably like, I'm going to join these people and just begin to fit in. But what you don't understand is that the Bible says that Jesus sees him. He can see Peter following from a distance. He could see Peter mingling with the common folk, denying him. So Peter sits there. And what does he tend to do? He tends to fit in. See, we're in a culture church where people want you to fit in. You go to church and immediately there's a label on you. And they may want to argue, especially today, today's political climate. It's very true. People may want to just argue with you. You go to church, that means you believe this. That means you believe that. That means you do this. And it's immediate. They just want to just begin to label you. And they begin to tear you down. And now, you're probably stuck in a situation just like Jesus, or just like Peter is in. Now he kind of has to, now you kind of have to, Keep your distance. Yeah, I go to church, but, you know, I, it's not that serious. You know, I still believe in this, this, and that, which doesn't line up with the word of God at all. And you begin to compromise because you're living your life at a distance from Christ. You're watching Christ operate. You're watching him move, just like we do here at church, right? People begin to get slain in the spirit. The spirit begins to move. Miracles begin to take place. And all you're doing is not participating but you're just watching and observing from a distance. 
When in reality, is this is where all the action's taking place. I want more of you, Lord. That person's getting touched. I want to be right there. And it also works even socially within the church. If you really unpack this, we see a brother begin to get saved. His life has changed. He begins to lead prayers. He begins to worship at the front. But literally, we want to stand at a distance and, and just observe that. Rather than being next to that brother, hopefully to catch that fire. That's obedience. Obedience is chasing Christ at every means. Meaning when we walk into this building, we want to see more of him. We want to feel more of his presence. And we want to experience him like no other. Because all it does is take one, just really one sermon, one service, and your whole life can be turned upside down because the Holy Spirit did it, not because someone wrote down some verses for you. See, the scary thing about this story is that Peter walked with Jesus, but it still wasn't enough for him to remain faithful. So many people I come around like, yeah, you know, I love my church, or I, I do this, I do that. But when it comes down to it, where are you at on Saturday morning prayer? Where are you at when the church needs help painting? Or needs help putting up sound equipment, or needs help... And, and that's the thing, is like you could say all you want, that you pledge allegiance to the church and Jesus, but what do you do? Are you really being obedient? Are you really staying obedient in understanding his word, worshiping him more, amen? Or are we just trying to be like everybody else and fit into society? A scary verse in Romans chapter one, verse 24, and I've read it several times to you. In the past, it says, therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. I think about social media and how everything is pushed in front of you. Everything is at the forefront right now. It's pushed right in front of your eyes. And if you continue to chase sin, God will finally give you into that sin. In other words, the Lord will say, you know what? I've tried to get you to surrender. I've tried to rescue you. I've restored you. And you know what? You want to continue to do that? You go right ahead. I think about the people of Israel this is what they continue to do. They continue to be disobedient through the prophets of Baal. We see this throughout the course of history, if you know your Old Testament, where they begin to, to just turn away from God, and it is God coming in to restore the relationship. And sometimes it takes one person to do that. We see that with Moses. We see that with Joshua. How God will just continue to try to restore the relationship, and now we even see it with Daniel. In James chapter 3, verse 11, it says, Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt produce fresh water? In other words, whatever, whatever's inside of you is what's going to come out. Amen. So you're not fooling everybody. You're fooling yourself. If you're not remaining obedient, if you're, not, if you're not reading your word, if you're not trying to find a form of discipleship, you begin to break off from the kingdom of God. You are what your surroundings are. Sometimes we put ourselves in situations where it's, it's a situation of compromise. 
And all it takes is just one little sip of some alcohol or little, one little poof of something that's legal now, so it's justified. And all of a sudden, you're realizing, well, you know, this is much better than uh, Wednesday night service. I might as well do this. I'm only telling you this because I've seen it happen where it's just one form of compromise that breaks people from discipleship and the church. See, there's a difference between a believer and a disciple tonight. Anybody can believe, but are you a disciple? Are you really a disciple of Jesus? Are you really a disciple of this house, this church? That's something that for you to answer, amen. So how can you improve your obedience, right? How, how do we, Rob, how do we improve our obedience to God? And I'm gonna be honest with you, it takes a lot of work. It's gonna take some pain. It's gonna take a little bit of a ripping off of a Band-Aid very quickly sometimes. It's gonna hurt a little bit. It's gonna sting. But really what I wanna talk to you tonight about is spiritual cultivation. In other words, when you accept Christ, that is just the beginning. It's not it. It is more. That means you are now on a path. You are now on a path of discipleship. You are now on a path to being restored. It is spiritual cultivation. You need to begin to cultivate your spirit. So there's several things you need. And the first one you're taking notes is you need discipleship. And I, I kind of want to just talk about discipleship for a little bit, okay? You need to be able to uh, position yourself to receive discipleship. What does that mean? Well, that means you should probably be here for every service. That means you begin positioning your life for someone to speak into it. You know what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean you go, well, I want to be a disciple, but nobody's available to disciple me. You know, you know where the disciplers are? They're in church. The if you want to be discipled by somebody, you come to church. And guess what? It's not just on Wednesday and Sunday and Friday. It's Saturday too. I always tell people, look, if you want to get discipled, I'll be at the church Saturday morning. And then afterward, I got to do this for production. So you could stick around and help me out. Well, you know, that's not, how are you going to counsel me? Like, discipleship isn't always counseling either. Discipleship is sometimes you just spending time with somebody to understand how they live so that you may catch it. Amen? It's unfortunate where we think that discipleship has to be some formal thing. Sometimes discipleship is informal. When I read the Bible and I see Jesus and his disciples, I don't see a classroom with a bunch of slides on it and a worship team. It's not formal. Discipleship can be informal. In other words, it, it, sometimes it takes you saying, hey, can I come over? Hey, can I, you know, can, can, I, can I pick your brain for just a second? You know, five minutes. You know, and, and it doesn't have to be this whole long drawn out thing. It's just sometimes just that moment. Saying, I just want a piece of this, you know. And, it's, and when I think about Jesus, if I could just sit five minutes with him. What would I ask Jesus? And I want you to think about that. What would you ask him? And I was like, oh, you know what? I probably would ask him, Jesus, am I doing the right thing? Am I supposed to be where I'm at? You know what he'd probably say to those things? No and no. 
No, you're not doing the right thing. You still need to work on it. Are you where I need you to be? No. So a disciple, you know why? Because a disciple is a student. It's someone that can be taught. I got taught this early on. In other words, you don't ever stop learning. A disciple never stops learning. It's o- a disciple is always someone that wants to learn something new. They want to know when they're wrong. Can I say it again? They want to know when they're wrong. Amen? That way when you, when, you, when you mess up or you say, you know, I messed up. If you're a disciple and I tell you, yeah, you messed up. Here's how you did it. Here's how you're going to fix it. Right? Or someone tells you, yeah, you messed up. You want that person in your life. You're able to receive that. That's part of being positioned for discipleship. You don't get defensive. You don't need to get defensive. You don't need to get out of line. You don't need to get loud. You don't need to text your other sister over in the corner or any, right? What you need to do is receive it and say, thank God someone told me I was wrong and now I know how to fix it. There's so many times where, where, where people will come up to leadership or even just any, any leader and say, look, I want to be a disciple. And then the moment you disciple them, you tell them, no, you need to do this. Oh, I don't need to do that. All of a sudden, you're no longer a disciple. You're a teacher. And now you've turned it, you flipped the script on them and you're just way smarter than everybody else. When in reality is God has positioned people in your life to be disciplers. Amen. A disciple is somebody, yeah, is somebody that is gifted sometimes. You may have a spiritual gift. You may say, you know what? I've been in the church a long time. I know scripture. I know everything there is to know about revelations, about God himself and his character. Guess what? You still need to, you still need to be discipled. Well, I'm a, I'm a prophet or I have this gift and, you know, I, I, I operate underneath God. He disciples me. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Okay? Because a deci- someone that is getting discipled needs to be held accountable. You need to be under some form of leadership. Some form of leadership that can tell you when you're being obedient and when you're being disobedient. I want to encourage all of you to find someone that can disciple you. Maybe it's a brother or sister in a church. Maybe it's a leader. But always be teachable. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus says this. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who have believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it, you say, you will become free? Jesus, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is why you need discipleship, because you're a sinner. I'm raising my hand because I am too. I have to get discipled. Every single one of us needs to be discipled, amen. We are sinners. We don't experience that freedom until we actually say, you know what, I'm following Jesus. I'm gonna be a disciple of him. I need someone to help me. The other thing that you need, you need personal relationship with God-fearing people. There are too many times I see people that begin to 
to find other friends outside the church that are not God-fearing, and they begin to influence them. You should be influenced by God-fearing people. It shouldn't be something that, that, you, that you are just coming across for the first time. You should have heard this, that it is your brothers and sisters will keep you grounded. People that will pray for you. Not people who are going to tell you, you don't need to go to church. You don't need this anymore. Just come out with us instead. Come over to this bar. You don't have to drink. Well, there's church. Yeah, just come out and hang out with us. You're always hanging out with your church family. If that dialogue sounds familiar, you need to, re- you need to say, you know what, God, I need to repent. You need to protect your spirit. You need to protect your spirit. If you're around people that are not God-fearing people and they're influencing you, that should be a, co- a complete red light saying, hey, stop. Yes, this person is a nice person. Yes, they're, they're gr- probably a great friend, but they should not be pouring into your life. You should be pouring into their life. There, are, there were times in my personal life where I've met some great people at work. Love them to death, still to this day. Begin to try to influence me. Because that's what friends do. We start to influence each other. We share hobbies. You know, we, and, then, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, can't you go on Wednesday night? Like, uh, no, I'm busy Wednesday night. Well, what about Friday night? Yeah, I'm busy Friday night too. What about Saturday morning? Well, I'm busy Saturday, usually all day. What about Sunday? I go to church. And all of a sudden, you know, you realize, you know what? I need to be influencing them. They shouldn't be influencing me. I've made a conscious decision to be discipled. I need to be obedient, not only to my God, but to my church, to my pastor. I need to be obedient in these areas. Amen? The other thing is you need accountability. This is the fun one. Sometimes we want to express our gifts. We want to, you know, we want to, we want to do all these things, but without accountability. We want to give advice to other people in the church without accountability. I, I, you know, I find that amusing when people try to give other people advice about the church. It's like, wait, 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 wait. are you a pastor? Because I'm an assistant pastor and I'm barely scratching the surface of how to run a church. And I'm like, well, because let me tell you something, church, there are people that, that'll tell you, hey, the church should be doing this. The church should be doing this. And then you hear, you hear this language begin to come out. Hey, no one, uh, no one disciples you at your church and no one wants to spend time with you? Or Decisive nature begins to set in. Bitterness begins to grow. You know, you should really be getting this from your pastors. You should be really getting this from your leaders. So let me tell you something. We preach the word of God. What more do you need? Right? If... Honestly, the word should teach you everything. If you read it. If you read it. Okay? In other words, and this is what I tell at PCBI. I don't know everything. I'm going to teach you what I know. But there is something called supplemental reading. It's the same in life, in your spiritual life. To spiritually cultivate yourself, guess what? You got to read. It's like, well, my pastor doesn't teach me that. Well, the word teaches you that. You, know, you, might, you might have missed that Sunday we went over it, but you need to read. You need to read your book. You need to read your Bible, amen? 
Stop reading Facebook. Stop reading, you know, the latest sermon from so-and-so online. Read your Bible. You know, read your Bible. A lot of people are like looking for the next prophetic, big prophetic word. It's going to save their life, change everything. And it's like, no, that's not going to change everything. You need to read your word. Praise God, we have prophets and the, and, and the Spirit's alive and well today, man, and he's operating through these prophets. But I'm going to tell you something. The people of God still needed to be in prayer. They needed to still be reading and understanding uh, the, the, just the history of Israel and, and the Word of God. They needed all that. It's not, it's not about finding the latest prophecy. It's about finding the latest word that God wants to grab you with. Another part of spiritual cultivation is you need expression. After you've been discipled, after you've been account, held accountable, after you've had the friends, the, the God-fearing people around your life, after all this, guess what? You put it into practice. Each one, teach one. In other words, you begin to disciple. You should now be in a position where it's like, you know what? I, I am in a position now to begin discipling. I, I can help bring disciples to, to my leader. I can help bring people, and, and we begin to love on them. We begin to give them expression. It's ministry. Sometimes it's ushering. Sometimes it's production. It may be children's church. You are now bringing an expression into, into the house of God to edify everyone else. So some people think, oh, we just disciple people because we, we want them to listen to us. No, no, no. We want you to get people saved. We want you to have an expression. We want you to have that. We want you to be in ministry. We want you to go to the next level with God and rely on him on those things. And so obedience is something that it kind of, it's part of your cultivation process. How can I be more obedient to God? How can I be more obedient in my spiritual life? Because sometimes we're running into the walls in our spiritual life. And we've been running into the same wall for year after year. You're probably sitting in here right now. It's been a long time since I heard God's voice. It's been a long time since I've been in the altar and raised my hand. That's part of spiritual cultivation. That is a part of obedience. It's you surrendering and say, God, I need you. I need you in all of this in my life. John Piper says this. He says, obedience does not consist in paying God back and thus turning grace into a trade. Obedience comes from trusting in God for more grace, future grace, and thus magnifying the infinite resources of God's love and power. In other words, I want God, I want to be obedient to him because I want his favor in my life. When you're a disciple and you're obedient, you begin to see favor. So many times people are, you know, they, they, they come up and say, I'm just going through it, man. I said, we need to ask for God's favor right now. We need to ask for God's favor. We need you to be obedient. We need you. There's people that have problems, issues, and it's like, well, that a lot of the times those issues and problems are stemming from disobedience. You want the favor of God? It starts with obedience. Because, like I said, anybody can proclaim they love Jesus, but are they obedient? I like. I'm reminded of the apostles and, and the disciples. I mentioned it quickly earlier about Peter, right? But understand this, look at this, look at this, what happens here, it's pretty awesome. Look where Peter was. 
I want you to see look where he was in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. All these signs and wonders are taking place. And look, look what, look what Peter's doing in verse 12 in Acts chapter 5. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. I'm going to read that again. None of the rest dared join this group, but the people held them in high esteem. I'm wondering if they didn't want to join them because of the spiritual nature that they have. Now look what ends up happening in verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is where Peter was. And what I read to you in the intro, Peter is denying Christ. But we see that even his shadow, people wanted to see his shadow do work. Even his shadow would heal people. People were lining up saying, oh my God, there are the apostles, there they are. There's Peter, let's bring him the sick so that when, they wa- when he walks by them, they are healed. Think about that for just a moment. What is that telling you? At any moment you can be dis- disobedient. You could have preached sermons, you could have slain people in the spirit, you could have rose the dead, but you can lose that obedience and that type of, of miracles. You can lose that in an instant. Your spirituality is very sensitive. It just takes a moment. You allow things to start to creep in and now you no longer are operating in that same power. It's no longer kicking up. The spirit is no longer moving, but literally you have found yourself allowing something to take you and draw away. And draw you away from what God was doing. This obedience gave the apostles power. It even says that the shadow of Peter would heal people. See, your obedience can bring hope to people. Just like we saw here. As people began to bring out the sick. They began to bring out all the, all the sick, the lame. So that they may be healed. I don't know about you, but if I know that if me being obedient would help people, I'll remain obedient. If that means I, you know, I got, I got to, you know, I got to, I got to make sure that my life is cl- is is clean and it's operating in in a fashion where God can move, I'll do it because I want to see people get saved. And so when we think about how when we we are being disobedient, when we start to be disobedient in our walk, and we start to maybe badmouth the church, and we allow a little bitterness to to just kind of creep in to our attitude, that's when you start to just begin to just kind of you know, get sucked up and, and, and now you're just kind of prideful. And you're like, you know what? It's now it's just my pride leading me here. Your obedience can bring miracles upon people. We see that with the apostles. As they were obedient, they, they were bringing miracles throughout the land. They were bringing out miracles throughout Jerusalem. The Bible said in the scripture I just read to you that there were people from the surrounding areas bringing the sick to them. But we see Peter. Suddenly he forgot about all this. He forgot it. Later on, he denies Jesus. See, you could see all the miracles. You could see God move. 
You can dance, you can sing loudly, you can give them praise, but the moment you deny Christ in your life or you walk a little farther from him, all that goes out the door. The enemy is on attack, folks. I'm here to tell you the enemy is ready just to snatch you up, take you away from, your, from God's plan that he has in your life. In Acts chapter five, we see, we see this attitude from, from the apostles. It's just this real zeal. He says, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you are, filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you tend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. So Peter, again, we see him have this same zeal saying we must obey God rather than men. But literally, he's the one denying Jesus later on. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like somebody that just says, yeah, I serve God. But again, are you obedient? See, God can move through you now, but he's gonna move through you later. That's my challenge to you tonight. You may be sitting there thinking, you know what? God moves through me. God speaks through me. I know all this, and you can fall away quickly. I, when I first got saved, someone told me, and I always take this to heart, and I've, I've shared it with you before. Someone told me, I told them, I'll never lose my salvation. They corrected me so hard. They said, don't ever say that, because it can happen. Your salvation in your spirit is something that is so sensitive. You allow the littlest thing to creep in, all, that, all those miracles, all that power, all that authority that God has given you and operated in your life can be stripped away because of one moment of compromise. Another thing is when you're, when you're operating in, in this obedience, a lot of times people, they, they think, you know what, um, I, I'm operating in obedience and you know, I just don't feel God, I don't understand what God wants to do with me. And then we think, oh, you know, I don't know what God's will is in my life. I don't know if I should be at this church. And you begin to question. I don't know if, if Christianity is really for me. You begin to question all those things because somehow you think, oh, everybody else knows what God wants to do with their life and, and, and therefore they have obedience. I'm going to be clear with you. Sometimes we have no idea what God's going to do with our lives. But we remain obedient because of, the, because of that quote I read you by John Piper said, strictly we do it for the future, not because of what's happening now, but we remain obedient because this is what God wants us to do and we know something's going to take place if I remain obedient. You don't need a word, a miracle, or an emotional moment all the time. You don't need, you don't need some spectacular thing to take place. You don't need an amazing sermon or anything like that. You just need the word of God and some obedience in your life. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 21, if I can have the worship team come up. It says, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. In other words, you can actually come before God and ask him, please take, you know, take over this circumstance. Help me understand what your will is for my life, Lord. But it starts with you remaining obedient, and it says bold and confidently. 
See, some of us, we, we say, yeah, I like Jesus. Or other people will say, yeah, I love Jesus. Amen? And other people say, I give my life to Jesus. In other words, you shout it out. There are levels to this. How much do you really love him? How much are you going to be obedient to him? Will you actually lay down your life for him? Will you actually be obedient to him? Because any of us can say, yes, I believe in him. Yes, I, I, I want more of you in our lives. But you have to remain obedient through that process. It doesn't happen quickly. Salvation sometimes doesn't come immediately to some. Sometimes it's a process. And I say, trust the process. That means you keep coming to church. You remain obedient. You find people that will pour into your life. If you have to get rid of people that are speaking negatively about the church or speaking negatively about your new lifestyle, you have to get rid of that. You begin to position yourself for discipleship. See, God wants to do something with your life, but some of you are still walking at a distance. You know who you are. You're saying, yeah, I know God wants to do something with me, but I'm still gonna just stand right back here and let everyone else let everyone else get touched by God. I don't know about you, but when we walk into here, I want to get touched by God every single time. So right now where you're at, if you would just, church, if you would just bow your heads. You've heard me talk about Jesus. You've heard me talk about obedience. And you maybe even heard me say that it's not just enough to say you believe. Because it isn't. The reason I'm up here is because I feel like there are people that are on their way to hell. I feel like there are people that don't know where they would go if they were to die today. That the enemy has a stronghold on you. But in reality, what God is looking for to rescue you is some obedience. That you probably think, you know, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I believe in Jesus. But I want to commit to him. I want to be more obedient in my life. See, right now, what I want to give the opportunity for you to do is I want to give you the opportunity to accept Christ. So if there is any of you out there that would like to accept Christ, just lift your hand. Just lift your hand across this place. If there's anyone at all. Maybe you've fallen away. Maybe you said, you know, I once had that. I've experienced that, Rob, where God was moving through me. And you know what? I felt like God was actually... Uh, working in my life and I had the power of the Holy Spirit but you know I just couldn't get involved into discipleship and I kind of just fell away maybe that's you maybe that's saying you know I, I believed in Christ I was all gung ho for a moment there and I was like getting everywhere I was reading his word all the time and now it's just kind of slipped away it's not like that for me anymore and you maybe you want to rededicate your life and say you know what I'm ready to be obedient and try again if that's you just lift your hand just lift your hand across this place if that's you. Saying, you know, I want to rededicate my life. I want, I want to renew my salvation. I see that hand, little guy. I see that hand. Amen. Is there anyone else that would like to join this hand? Anyone else? I see that hand over here. Anyone else? We're going to give some time for this. If you're feeling your heart maybe being, you got a little anxiety, maybe you're feeling a little nervous, that's God talking directly to you. That's not me speaking to you. Maybe you need to be obedient and respond to that. 
If that's you, just lift your hands. Anyone at all. I see that, my brother. I see that hand. You may put it down. You're sitting there and you're feeling your heart's heavy. It's like, you know what? God's telling me something. I'm telling you, that's not my voice. That's the spirit. I feel like there's more. Anyone else? I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Don't pass up this opportunity. Don't pass up this opportunity for God to change your life. You're in the right place to do it, amen? This may be your last opportunity to rededicate your life. Don't pass it up. Anyone else? Amen. Those of you that lift your hand, if you could just look up at me, I'm not gonna embarrass you, don't worry, I promise. Amen. Those of you that lifted up your hand and you're looking at me right now, I want you to do one more thing. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I want you to come to the front. I want you to come to the front. You're not gonna be alone. I promise someone's gonna come with you. I don't want you to pass up this opportunity, amen. Amen. We can get, come on, let's give him a hand. Continue to clap, amen. 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 Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. Welcome. So they're going to pray with you guys, okay? They're going to pray with you guys. Church, right now, some of us have actually walked away, just like Peter has. We may have found ourselves walking at a distance from God and saying, Lord, I know you want more from me, but I haven't completely obeyed. I haven't completely surrendered. I've walked at a distance. I've been watching instead of doing it. And if that's you, church, I want you to come to the front. I want to open up these altars right now. Let's come to the front. And I want you to just begin to talk to God. Begin to ask Him for forgiveness. Begin to ask Him for more discipleship. Begin to ask Him for the things that will cultivate your spiritual life. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.